I'm Toby M. Schreier, an artist and printmaker. I'm Corinne Cunningham, a writer. As siblings growing up together in Seacoast, New England, and now from opposite sides of the Atlantic, we've listened to and supported each other through the ups and downs of our artistic endeavors. We thought you might like to listen in to our conversations about creativity and process. And so we've created this podcast, Ink from the Embers, our musings on the roots and growth of creativity. We hope you enjoy listening in. Hi there, Toby here. This past December and into January, 2022-23, if you're tuning in from the future, I and my wife visited Corinne and family stateside for the first time in about four and a half years. This was also our first visit to the new family compound in the deep Maine woods. Corinne and I took this opportunity to head out to the cabin, prop a cell phone up on a chair between us, and record some long overdue in-person conversations over tea. These are our cabin sessions. Enjoy. So you wanted to talk about, I don't say hobbies, I mean, hobbies? Really? It's secondary outlets, other passions, things that inform and nourish us. I think it really came about, it's apropos you are knitting as we speak, sitting here in the cabin, and we were at a yarn store. We were at a yarn and store. And for me, this was actually a really fascinating time there. Did it start even before? Because we should set the scene in that I was wearing one of my hand-knit sweaters and your wife eyed it up. And it was the first time that I'd seen her look at one of my sweaters like with that look of like, oh, that's something I would wear. And yeah. so then it turned, came about, you know, the conversation of, would you knit a sweater for someone? Yeah. It's like, well, it would have to be a special someone, which luckily your wife is. She's very special. She'd someone. have to be, you know, the person would have to be knit worthy, which your wife is. But then we started talking about different styles. Somehow it came up, like the whole conversation evolved and the type of yarn and what we can do with the yarn and patterns and all of that. Was that kind of the entry point to the fascination for you? It was, but it was really in the yarn store with you entering this other domain mm -hmm. and to see your your demeanor change a little bit. Not so. It's... You are not the most outwardly confident person I know. Okay. You walked in there and you exuded the air of an expert. <laughs> I knit a lot. So you yeah. knit a lot. <laughs> so just how you explained things, going into technical detail, the lady at the yarn store who came to assist and turning into these Fachdiskussionen, um, these expert level discussion discussions about, well, yarn type and this and all these terms I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was so fascinating to see, one, this is a technical area that I know nothing about. Mm -hmm. So this is, I don't want to say it's all gibberish. Yeah. But it's like, okay, I can follow, even though I have no idea what they're, they're talking about. There's a logical, they, they certainly know what they're talking about. That's funny because I think when I'm talking with other writers, that's the same kind of, I like, mean, that's my shop talk. Like I can easily imagine that. That's not yeah. something that I've been witness to. Yeah, that's true. And also to see you so comfortable in this role of an expert. Just that was also really fascinating because I think we have a bit of that here where, you know, we're talking and it's free. There's no judgment. So it's very comfortable. But there it's just the, oh, wow, this is, these are engineers talking. Mm. Rocket science is happening and I'm yeah. witnessing it. It was really interesting. So how did you get into knitting? Well, Style the Wayback Machine in. Yeah, I, um, I got into knitting when I was, I don't, I, there's a picture of me knitting a scarf for either dad or, or Grammy, our paternal grandmother. Um, and I don't know how old I was. I'm a really bad judge of. Like looks and age, probably maybe between eight and ten. Okay. Um, and I learned the very basic 
knit, knit stitch. I think I probably learned a purl stitch too. Um, I'm, I think from like regular old garter, st garter stitch, which is just knitting both sides um, of a scarf. I might have tried to do, I might have tried to make mittens, but it, I mean, it was a big jump and, um, and I learned from mom who was very, very capable and very good at things. But when it comes to technical things, we don't speak the same language. Yes. Um, you two seem to speak the same language for the most part, um, which is, which is a really interesting dynamic. Um, but yeah, so we didn't really speak the same language about it, and I and I didn't keep it up. I knew how to do it, but I didn't keep it up. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to my mid twenties, even late twenties. Um, the first time I stopped drinking and got sober, I went to a couple of AA meetings, and that didn't click for. And that's a whole other conversation, but. After AA meetings, people would smoke. And I had been a smoker in college and had quit when we were going to have kids and was really good about quitting and then kind of picked up smoking for, it might have just been a month. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is gross. It's terrible. It's not sustainable. It's not affordable. So I obviously quit again and needed something to do with my hands and um, picked up a Knitting for Dummies book and some yarn and kind of took off um, and taught myself through that book, through YouTube videos and online tutorials. Um, got hooked on Ravelry, which is the site for patterns and discussions on knitting things. And at one point I even had an Etsy shop for knit goods. I didn't like, like, I, I enjoyed putting things out there and listing them for sale, but I did not like the, can you knit me this? Can yes. you knit me this? Can you do this, but in a different color? Can you, yeah. I didn't like the special orders. Um, it just stressed me out and it took a lot of joy out of knitting. And for a while, I think I even like slowed down on my personal knitting afterwards because it just didn't feel, it just didn't feel good. Um, but the last, I mean, I don't even know how many years. It's been a staple. Yeah, it's been a staple in my day and in my life. And I knit for for people I love. Um, you're wearing a a pair of of hand mitts with a radish pattern because there's this running joke about you loving radishes. Um, I mean, it's not not only a joke; it's the truth. You but like it, it was one of the earliest pieces of silliness with your kids that has just kept going. Yeah. Every time we see things with radishes, we have to get it for Toby. Um, but yeah, so I think that's it. And the evolution and the learning has just kind of come naturally. And also through Instagram, you know, there's a huge knitting community, a gigantic knitting community. There's knit-alongs and there's um, so many different designers and there's knitting YouTube. There's all sorts of stuff. And so the accessibility of information is fantastic. I mean, and I've just kind of gotten comfortable really grasping the types of yarn and not just like the different weights of it, but like thinking about woolly wools versus, you know, super wash kind of like the things that we were talking about in the store, like within the last two years or so, I've learned a great deal about that. And the next step for like I already have in my head, well, I will really want to learn more about the actual sheep breeds and yep. what their natural environments are and how that yarn is processed and can be used. Um, and I'd love to get into spinning. So that's a long, long answer, but I really, I really love knitting and I love wool and fiber. And I, you know, sometimes think that it would be great to make that, the primary focus um, instead of writing, but I think they, again, they inform each other. Um, I don't want to take the joy out of knitting and that kind of passion project um, in terms of just what fiber is for me. Um, but I mean, the novel I wrote last year 
in the spring and the winter and spring took place at a yarn shop. And so it was fun to be able to like include some information that I was learning and to have, you know, knitting conversations between people and, yep. you know, creating knit nights for these characters and stuff. It was really, really kind of fun. And I look forward to getting back to that project. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is true. Not only do we not see each other normally, we don't really see each other with other people. Even when yes. you were living here, it wasn't like we'd go shopping together. Exactly. Or... It was, we got together for family meeting or not family meetings, like something serious, but we were getting right. together to see family. Right. Yes. It was a visit. It wasn't, we weren't seeing each other in our natural habitats, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, it makes sense. Um, it makes sense that it was like, oh, your demeanor changed. Like at first I'm like, well, yeah, of course it did. Because I also wasn't trying to, like at home, you're trying to make people comfortable. And and it's not that, or I don't think of it as like, I don't know. At home, it's not really a confidence kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, where I need to exude confidence to get dinner on the table yeah. or something like that. Um, but yeah, we don't see each other in work elements and that is kind of a, a work type place. I don't know yeah, if that makes sense. We don't see each other in places where we, can I use the term the expert? Yeah. See, it, I still like, I don't, I, I'm really bristling at that for some reason. Like I know it's a general term and it's because I, 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 I know more about it than you and Adrian do, yep. um, but I look to others who are more, who have more expertise and I guess that's it. Maybe if it, if it was framed as like, you were in your element or, you know, this is, yeah, I don't know. I think because yeah. I still feel like such a novice about it in a lot of ways. It's, I think that's also, I don't know how to translate Fachwissen better than expert knowledge. As a fach is really an expertise or a field of work. I think in more in that field of work is you are practicing this field of work. Yeah. Again, and your knowledge from that practicing this field of work. Yeah. Again, you're in your element and your use of expertise. Yeah. Is but that's, it's also how it's like expert. No, I'm not an expert. That we, I think we both bristle at that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I because think, for you, it's, what would you say that, that a similar outlet is? Would you say it's watercolor? Ooh. Um, the descriptions are similar for watercolor, where people will look at my work as like, holy cow, you know what you're doing. And I was like, no, I'm just making this up as I go. But that's it, not, yeah. Yeah. And it's the, I, I know that I know what I'm doing, but it's kind of not that, I mean, I am a printmaker. This is, that is where I do feel the most expert. Mm -hmm. even if I don't feel like an expert. Yeah. Um, but with watercolor, it's the, this is definitely, I don't want to say an experiment, a hobby, but it's something that interests me. It's something that informs my printmaking and printmaking informs it and back and forth. Right. Where, like yourself, it was pretty much all self-taught from reading books, watching YouTube videos, watching a lot of YouTube videos. You know? mm -hmm. James Gurney and Aaron Blaze. Two very different uh, watercolorists, but learned a lot from both of them. Yeah, I think we've talked about them. I think I've before, mentioned both right? of them many times in this podcast, especially James Gurney. But that, for me, that's almost too connected because that's another visual art, and that's almost built into the process of printmaking for me now. Okay. It's like if I'm considering a woodcut or an etching, I might go do some watercolor studies as part of that. As a, where it almost seems like for you the knitting is almost a mirror for your writing or it's, it's a complete different area to gain some distance and reflect upon it. Yeah. So what what would you say is like that for you? Probably the closest is, is music and making music. Oh, right. I was trying to think of what you said last night. Yeah. Up, and I just, for some reason, I had watercolor in my brain. No, it's good. I've... I brought my whole watercolor kit over from Europe on this trip, and I haven't actually painted once, so it feels like a, a waste of weight, but it just hasn't called for it. Even though we have a lovely landscape in front of us. Yeah, it's true. 
So music, and you have, I mean, there is an interesting thing coming up next month for you in that. Yes, and that we, we did mention that in one of our previous cabin corner, cabin, what were we calling these? Cabin the cab- sessions. The cabin sessions, one of our previous cabin sessions. Mm-hmm. I did mention the European Challenge, which was the record production month, which is where you come up with or you record an album. I think the standard is 10 tracks or 35 minutes minimum of music, and you record that all in the month of February. Right. And you can use it to finish other projects, but it's really thought of as kind of self-contained. You write this album from start to finish, from the idea to getting published on the space of the shortest month of the year. Mm-hmm. It's like NaNoWriteMo being in November, which is inherently a very busy month in the, exactly. in the United States. <laughs> yeah, somehow there's just an element of masochism built into yeah. it, but that makes it more fun. So how did you get your start in music? Um, so growing up, I think we both learned recorder at some point. I mean, we, we were both taught recorder. I remember that much. We both were? Yes. I remember you also not enjoying it like I did. Yeah, that's probably why I have no memory of that. <laughs> um, and I think it was until college and fairly late in college is I had a roommate that played guitar and I was like, hey, Dan, can you teach me guitar? This looks fun. Mm-hmm. And he did. So I got an acoustic guitar, which I still have. I still play it. It's in my living room. Uh, and just kind of started from there, just the basics of learning the songs of the day, like Dave Matthews Band and Dispatch. Mm-hmm. And now I play those songs and the younger generation doesn't quite know what I'm doing. Which is kind of amusing. Say which younger generation? The ones here? The, the ones here. Your, your kids know those songs. <laughs> yeah. Your kids know those songs. But I started with the guitar and kind of experimented a little bit with that over, over time and just played and learned. And I wanted to get more into music, but the car- guitar just wasn't grabbing me. And somehow I think I was working for the campus parking even after I graduated and someone's like, what about bass? Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a joke of it's only got four strings, it's easier. Yeah. And it, so I picked up a bass and ooh, that was nice. So I had researched and got a bass and really enjoyed the feel of it and the tones and then I had like a huge amplifier to play in front of and then just to move that air in this really physical you can hear it, but then your whole chest is vibrating with it. Yeah. It's a very visceral experience for me. Mm-hmm. And for so much of it is about like the feeling of it, because even further down the line, I was at a music store and picked up a fretless bass, and I was like, oh, oh, this is this is it, this is it. And turns out that. One of the, the albums that we both had grown up with, Paul Simon's Graceland, everything in there is fretless bass. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Um, I cannot remember the man's name, um, but a wonderful bassist. Uh, he was originally out of South Africa where that was recorded. He's now in Pennsylvania, oh, a figure. Um, he's still been putting out solo albums and leading, leading bands to this day. Mm. Put a link in the description with, uh, with his name because he's definitely worth looking up. Did you tell Lucas that? No, I don't think because I Because that's his like favorite album okay. ever. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Just because it, it's come up since you brought a fretless bass yes. here for, um, for my son. Yes, which was actually my first nice bass. Oh, wow. And that... The neck was warped, and I tried getting it fixed, and eventually got the same model, but a fretless edition of the model. That is my that's my base, but that base I had fixed up later with a special neck to get it playing again, and mm. with the idea of having it in a different tuning or something, but it just never got used. But now it's getting a lot of use with yeah. my nephew, which is really heart touching to see. Aww. Yeah, but. So that was kind of always on the side and never the, oh, I want to be a musician. There was never any personal pressure with it. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, this is fun. And that also led into like the recording and like, like the other thing I do for this podcast. It was my friend Mike, who is a storyteller, would record 
storytelling albums and we would do music for that and I would do the recording for that and we did essentially a podcast of storytelling stuff mm -hmm. which is still on YouTube. We've mentioned this before, but links will be below. And so it's always kind of been there. So I've always enjoyed that learning about it. I enjoy a certain amount of not really knowing. Yeah. Of it's like because I can kind of read sheet music, but not really. I just noodle and make up my own stuff most of the time. And as we were talking earlier, I've been getting more into like some electronic music and generative music. And so there are all these electronic bits that for me, always have to play well with the bass. So it's not just, here's a little noisemakers, how can I use that with this setup? Yeah. yeah. So it adds, ends up from odd amalgam of strange devices with blinky lights. Where do you do that? Like, do you do that at home? Or I do, do, you... do that at home. That is in the living room. Okay. Um, it's not always the best corner of it. I know Adrian is very flexible and actually really enjoys when I play, but it's because we live in a two-room apartment. I mean, there's kind of the living room that morphs into the kitchen, then there's the bedroom and the bathroom, and that's it. Yeah. So there's not a lot of room. And where she also has a background in music, I think there's kind of this understanding of, okay, they're noodling, they need space. Mm. And so it's... We almost really need to set up a better space in the bedroom for another person to work. So that if I'm noodling, she can go in there, vice versa. Which I hope she gets back to music at some point, but that's... Because that's not something you would want to use your studio space for? Not really, because for me, that's very much... That's a workspace. Yeah. And that's good to have that distinction. Yeah, and it's, I wouldn't have a problem with it, but it's more... I'm so used to treating the walk up there as I'm going to work. Right. And not just like, I'm going to work, I'm there will be no fun here. It's I'm entering that creative space for visual arts and getting into those patterns mm -hmm. where I don't want that distraction yeah. or that temptation to, ooh, I, I have this list of things I want to get done, but there's that four-string beauty over there and I want a noodle. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Or to bring the bass up there and then feel bad about never using it. Mm-hmm. Do I have enough of that at home? <laughs> no, so it's... And the music always comes in waves. So it's like, I, I will play a lot and then I won't play for a while. And that's also been kind of a journey of letting that happen and being comfortable with, I don't have to feel bad for not playing right now. This is supposed to be fun and if I'm not feeling it, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. But... That's been building up and especially being around both of your kids that are crazy good musicians for, well, crazy good musicians, period, and considering how long they've been learning, which isn't that long at all, it's even more astounding for me. Yeah. So that's kind of given me also that impetus to say, oh yeah, you know, this is, this is the time Yeah. to record an album. And I also was like, okay, the idea came to record the album and the time intervening between them and I announced that before this recording device and now see oh i even know where i'm going with that oh really yeah it's because being here in america has been wonderful but really weird mm -hmm. there's just this like overarching disconnect of what's the same and what's different yeah you know driving along a stretch of road where it's all exactly the same and then you enter an area and i don't recognize it yeah. at all or seeing these really weird customs that say, oh, that's not any different than when I used to live here. I'm just so different now that it seems strange. Yeah. That's just all over the place. There are those odd, it's not totally familiar and it's not totally alien. It's kind of taking that idea of that disconnect. Like, oh, that's, that's a great theme for an instrumental album. Yeah. yeah. On a, on a similar but different note, do you have people that you, because I know you talked, maybe not on the podcast before, but you hadn't found much use for the expat community. Have you found other people who are in a similar situation as you to kind of share those moments of disconnect and to 
Because that can be an ice, I would imagine that can be an isolating experience, but you're certainly not alone in having that no, experience. It's, um, I haven't really found an expat community. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't looked for one to tell the truth. Okay. Um, I know in Zurich, especially the expat community is a lot of bankers, tech workers, and it's really, yeah. this will sound bad, but it's big money. Yeah. And it's a big money and it's a lifestyle centered around that. Yeah, it's, it's, the priorities are different. Exactly. It's like where I'm not in a high paying job. I'm an artist. I'm not gunning for promotion. I'm an yeah. artist. <laughs> or, oh, hey, we're working in nature conservation. And no, we don't need to buy a bigger SUV. Right. We Again. think no one should buy a bigger SUV. Again, it's different priorities. Different priorities. Without alienating it's, exactly. Maybe some it's, of our <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a very different feeling. It's like okay, I I have met wonderful expats, but there's also kind of that. I don't hang out with a lot of so-called expats, which are almost expected to leave again. Mm-hmm. But I do end up meeting people that oh, you're not from Switzerland, but you've been living here for two decades. Right. So it's not that they're identifying as an expat, but they do have those stories in the background. Mm-hmm. Again, that's usually you know a lot of Germans living in Switzerland, which I mean, okay, they speak the language mostly, but there is a little disconnect there, but not quite so big as right. America, which also is not nearly as big as say uh, refugees, which we do have quite a, a few refugees more in Germany than Switzerland at the moment. But so those stories come up, but in our circle, we really don't, don't come across that too often beyond just people who came across the border for work and ended up staying because they met someone. I know that story. Yeah. Um, So just this album and disconnect, are you all, because I know, you know, similar to you and yarn and knitwear and stuff, music, the language around music is very foreign to me. And the creation of it, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming there's crossovers and similarities like with any artistic endeavor, mm. but are you already formulating sounds in your head? Like how, how does that work for you? I mean, right now, you know, I have a scribbled page of, I don't want to call them titles, but kind of taking that idea of prompts. Yeah. Or they are titles. I intend to use them as titles and as kind of a prompt. Mm-hmm. So I'll rephrase that using the same words. Where it's like the ghosts of I-95. Oh, nice. Or like things like that where yeah. it's like that gets a feeling. Yeah. And especially where I do. Oh, that ins- hits home too. Yeah. Because, yeah. 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 And it's like. Sorry. And where I don't use the the poetry of words. I don't write lyrics. Mm-hmm. I do treat that as a prompt. It's like, how does that make me feel? Mm-hmm. How do I want that to make me feel? Again, it's like, how, what do I hope it would bring over to the listener? That's won't even go that far because somebody else will have totally different associations with those sounds. Yeah. But it might just be, oh, I want this to be eerie. Oh, I want this to have a steady rhythm. Or... There's that one one guitar track off of that game soundtrack. I want that tone because that has that haunting quality. Yes. Um, which will be interesting because I don't have a, have an electric guitar. Go figure. Really? I, I don't have an electric guitar. Yeah. I don't know why that's surprising. I uh. I had one, um, but I left that with my buddy Mike when I left because it was kind of that a fix me up guitar that got mostly fixed up. It worked well for his goals but it never quite got to where I was comfortable playing it. Yeah. There is um there is a guy I came across from somebody's Instagram. They shared one of his songs. His name is Noah Kahan, I think. I think that's how you would pronounce it. K A H A N. Okay. Um his newest album is called Stick Season. And he's from Vermont. And so all of his music and his lyrics with, I mean, some of them say, like, 
they have New England in it and whatnot. Yeah. But anyone who listens to them, I think it evokes such a sense of place yeah. because of stick season, that season between Halloween and the snow, like when yeah. the trees look like sticks. Everything like is sticks. It's just, so it's interesting to me how those sense of place, that sense of place can come through yeah. in a variety of mediums. Obviously for that, you know, it's, the lyrics have a lot to do with it, but I think the sound as well, it, it evokes a certain, a certain nostalgic quality of New England. And I don't know how quite to describe it. So I'd, I'll be interested to hear. Yeah. And especially where it's, Will be. I have this idea in my head, and will my skills and my equipment be able to bring me there? Is another question mm-hmm. of like how close. Yeah. So that will be an interesting challenge. But for me, that also came to mind. There is. It's one of those albums that stick with with you. It's like you hear that. It's like ooh, that wasn't just a point in my life. That's been a part of my life ever since then. Yeah. And that is Falls of Roros, the light that dwells in rotten wood. It is a black metal album or a Cascadian metal, whatever. There's all sorts of metal subgenres or a trip. They're out of Portland, Maine. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were talking about the... Or I was explaining this to your daughter, I think, and to you at some point. I might have even been sitting in front of this microphone. I don't remember anymore where I went to a concert and it ended up being in a parking lot behind a warehouse. Oh, yeah, we were just talking about that yesterday. Because the venue, we bought tickets, we go to the venue, show up at the venue, and it had sold on it, and it was just abandoned. Wow. And so we had to drive around Portland, kind of like searching the internet, because you could do that even then, and figure out where and it ended up being, you know, at a friend's place of theirs who was an artist. So it's behind their studio in a parking lot next to the woods on the other side of the tracks from the big ass parking lot. Mm. It was Finn because he was in Portland. True. Yes. Yeah. And I was asking about, wait, you were on a, on a trail? Was it here? And he's like, yeah, that sounds familiar. I was like, yeah. I, I probably was at a metal concert just <laughs> there. Where it's like, okay, everybody. No guy staying on top of a, on top of a van. We need to do sound check. Could all y'all wait on on the other side of that puddle? Oh my gosh! Just yeah, great concert. Really nice thing, but this album, I just saw it online somewhere, and the cover looked like it was picture taken on top of Cadillac Mountain. So basically, this very coastal New England, flat granite rocks, short stubby trees, mm-hmm. and like, oh wow. That image with like a dusk or a sunset, just really beautiful image. And I don't know if it was that image planted in my head, but that music, which they're also very nature connected band and try to get that force of nature through. There's a lot of wonderful acoustic work, but that is, that has a feel of New England to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can see that. And it's kind of the, that very abstract, again, like, well, what about this makes it sound like New England? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing in there that would be typical. Yeah. I mean, what does New England even sound like? Lobster boys? Not around here. Right. And so it's capturing those unexpressibles in a way is... One of the things that, for me, I really enjoy about music is that it does evoke something, but it's never quite direct. That's kind of, you've described some of your printmaking like that as well in the past, I think. In that some of it, at least that was your, I'm trying to remember, because that sounds so familiar to what you've said about some of your printmaking is not wanting to necessarily point people in a certain direction, mm. but, you know, have a certain feel to it and yeah. a certain, yeah. 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 Thing. I'm all about the feels. Yeah. And the jokes aside, it really is. I do want to evoke a feeling. Yeah. It's not that I, there are times where I might want to tell a story. It's more I want to evoke a story. It's like, I don't, whatever their story is, it's like, I want that feeling of a narrative. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
Are you excited? I'm very excited. Um, again, it's an odd disconnect because I'm excited to start this project, but that means I'll be starting it when I leave here. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of the, oh, I don't want to embrace that feeling too much because I want to stay here for the last few days that I am here. Right. But it's cool to have something on the horizon yeah. that is... That's not just... Work and yeah. getting back into regular everyday life. Yeah, because I know that's redesigning the website, making it compliant to the EU's laws that I don't necessarily need to make it compliant to, but it's a good idea to because I'm yeah. in Switzerland. And, yeah. Oh, web design. Ugh. It's, there are people out there who love this and are passionate about it and are good at it. Neither of us are those people. So. No, but it's good that there are <clears> people out there like that. Thanks, more power to you. Yes, you deserve the big bucks for it. But if you feel like donating your time to us, get in touch. <laughs> no. For the starving artists who don't have money for web design. Yes. Not that you're starving. But. I'm not starving. So when you are when you are knitting, kind of getting back to that, when we're talking about the feeling and evoking a feeling, I don't know. I'm still still watching you knit this green tube. It's a very nice green tube. It's it's going to be a hat. It's okay. exactly the same as I knit one for Finn and um, for Christmas. It's exactly right. the same. And then Lucas said he would like one too, and I just happened to have an extra skein of yarn for it. Just happened to have extra yarn around. Yep. It's not a habit. It, no, it's not. It keeps people warm. This, this is true. But when when you're knitting, how I, I may have asked this before, but what how do you describe the mental state when when you are knitting? Um, I I think that depends on it depends on the day because something like this I can knit and not really pay attention to it, and it's something to keep my hands busy, and somehow that helps me to keep. Focus, but not too focused. So for somebody with anxiety, it's a good thing to turn a certain part of your brain off. It's like a kid with a fidget spinner or sitting in a chair that you can bounce in, like that kind of a thing. It's like chill beats to study to. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so there's lots of times when there's projects, like the two projects I have going right now, I don't have to think about doing anything too hard. And so I'll watch a video or knit while other people are around or um knit while podcasting knit while podcasting or but see it's funny i, I put stopped. my knitting down <laughs> to talk about knitting um and then there's other more involved projects i do have a pair of socks on socks that i don't think i've gotten out since you got here because I have to turn a heel and mm. I have to pay really close attention and there are teeny tiny cables on teeny tiny needles and it's a very intense knitting experience, um, which is fun and challenging in different ways, but mm -hmm. for that, that needs my full attention and, and it's just focusing on the pattern and the stitches and not anything else around me. And so that's also a kind of break in a sense from day-to-day -day life, I guess. Um, Since and, yeah, so I have to like set time aside and be like, I, I'm not going to be able to talk to anybody if you talk to me while I'm knitting this kind of thing. And so that doesn't last terribly long in general. Like maybe set aside an hour here and there for it. Um, and I, I sometimes I'll sit and knit and come up with ideas for writing. But yeah, it depends on the day and the mood. It serves, you know, lots of different purposes. It's not like a, oh, I'm going to pick up my needles and feel completely zened out at that mm -hmm. time. Um, well, yeah. Though when you were describing with an intense pattern that did almost sound mantra-ish, kind of meditative of to, to follow the, these steps. and. Yeah, I mean, that is, when you get counting involved, if you get repeat counting involved. That one is not actually meditative because there's so much that you have to do. Mm -hmm. It's not in, it's not intuitive necessarily. Like when you get a, a pattern that you have to count like three stitches and two stitches and five stitches, if you can get in that rhythm, mm -hmm. then it can be really meditative. Meditative. Yeah, meditative. But for the one I'm thinking of where it's like you have to use a cable needle and slip some stitches on it and hold it in back while you're trying to knit other things and 
And it's so fiddly that it's like meditative is not the mm-hmm. word that I would use for yeah. that. Um, but it certainly can be yeah. at different points. Yeah. Was there anything else that came up while watching the planning of Adrian's sweater that you were like, that's interesting or I don't know. I mean, for me, it was really to watch the, I won't call it bouncing, but between, okay, we have this idea for this pattern with these yarns. Mm-hmm. Okay, look at these. Something doesn't quite right. The colors aren't here. Well, yeah. An alternative is this. Okay, not much has to change here. Okay. Ah, oh, but we're here. There's something else. Mm-hmm. Kind of watching that chain of problem solving. Yeah. It was really fascinating because... I mean, for me, my level of yarn is, ooh, that's pretty, or that's less fuzzy than the other one. Right. And to hear all these terms like, oh, that makes total sense. Or, okay, there is a distinction here. There's a name for it. That is a very descriptive term, but I do not know what it's describing. Yeah. Yeah. That was really fascinating to just see multiple people speak that language and have ideas about it and what you can do with that. It was really kind of something magical. It's like there were almost kind of two levels of reality. Oh, yeah. Because for me, it's, okay, you know, is it synthetic? Is it from a sheep? Is it from not a sheep? Yeah. Or an alpaca? Or, like, okay, I know enough to know it's complicated, but it's not just complicated, it's that way for a reason, and it's this, and not only is it there for a reason, but that reason means something. And, oh, if we take this other meaning and the implied meaning from that, maybe we can go over there. Like, what's over there? Yeah. There's more? Yeah. So it's not that it was overwhelming, it was just... Oh, I think at parts it, it got... I could see overwhelm, maybe not in your face, <coughs> but in your wife's face. Yes. Because um, there were other elements at play where... And this... You know, this is a whole other topic to talk about, you know, staying in the rules of what using materials that you want to versus using materials that the guide, the experts say you should use. Because we had we had a woman who she really was helpful and she really was Mm -hmm. trying to be helpful. Um, We had a, a woman who was trying to help us and didn't quite grasp a few things. Um, we were looking for soft yarn to do some color work with. And, and I had already explained to Adrienne, like most times, or not most times, a lot of times to do color work, you would probably use a woolly yarn that will like stand up well and not stretch out and all of these things. But we found a yarn that would work well for that, even though it was super washed and super soft and super silky and all of the things. And so the woman, we were trying to see if they had more back or if they had back stock of the particular yarn. If they, if they had, we wouldn't have ended up with the conversations that we did end up having, but they didn't. And so the saleswoman was trying to help us find appropriate yarn and she was like well what are you making and I told her and she said well I wouldn't actually use that yarn for that purpose let's go over here and look at the yarns I would use which were super woolly super scratchy full of alpaca that Adrienne can't wear and so there was this um this kind of how do we listen to and honor her knowledge without telling her we're gonna do whatever the hell we want to do anyway because I have done what I was going to do before. And so it's this, like, I think you come across it in all areas of creativity. It's the, like, well, you've got to go traditionally published because that's the way it works. That's the system yeah. that has been created that you have to live within. You have to follow these rules if you're going to get published. You have to follow these rules if you want to do X, Y, or Z. And so I think it's that, like, oh, what is it? I was listening to somebody talk about it. Is it, like, when your brain is malleable mm-hmm. and changeable and flexible? Is that the right term? Like, uh, there's, there's some good terms in there. Keep going. 
I think I know what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, there's a woodpecker. Downy woodpecker. It's been hopping around. Oh, wow. Little, little tiny pretty. one. They're, they're cute little buggers. It's got a big shock of red in it. Anyway, there's this, you know, using... I do feel like a certain amount of play and creativity gets lost when you're just trying to follow the rules and parameters. Yeah. Sometimes the rules and parameters can help. And we've talked about that numerous yes. times. Having, having, you know, that swimming pool to turn around and kick off from and mm -hmm. to propel you forward. And sometimes that's really helpful to work within constraints. My constraints for this project were constraints that this other woman would never impose upon herself. Yep. Like... The type of yarn and the pattern and the um, something else. I don't know. Because she was telling me afterward, she was like, when I knit for people, they can either choose the pattern or the yarn, but never both. And I was like, okay, that's one way to go about it. And I found myself saying that lots within the last few months, yep. especially. That is a valid choice. Doesn't need to be my choice. And this goes across creatively, it goes across life, it goes across everything. Like this inability to see that other choices and other paths are are valid and yeah. don't necessarily need to be dismissed so readily because there's value in them. Yeah. It's, <laughs> um, one of the stack of books that I had ordered to your address and will be bringing with me back to Switzerland there's a series from the Crown Point Press called Magical Secrets, and it's like Magical Secrets of Etching or Magical Secrets of Aquatint, where they get kind of case studies of artists that they've worked with, because this is a more of a publishing printmaking studio, so it would bring in an artist that is not familiar with print printing yeah. and have them and have their master printers guide this person through the process. So that's just this person's creativity and their technical skill. Mm -hmm. And then they mm -hmm. outline their process. And I found it really one of the more valuable, I mean, there's a lot of good information there, really great books. But there's the one paragraph right at the beginning of, you know, with Aquatint, where you're etching around dots on your plate with acid. They, they basically said, hey... This is what we use here because these are our goals here and this is the system right. we use here. We've chosen these because it fulfills these criteria. Mm -hmm. The next paragraph, I'm listing all sorts of other stuff you can do with it. Those are all beautiful, wonderful things, but we've limited ourselves here because of our goals. And these are the best tools that we have found to achieve these goals in our studio. Mm -hmm. And then John Cage comes in and is setting things on fire as you put them through the printing press, which they just weren't expecting. But hey, interesting series of prints. That was such an interesting core for me because so many of the processes I was reading about in this book were the processes used in the print studio I studied at at the University of New Hampshire. Well, they almost they copied that setup because it's a great setup and it works. Yeah. And I also had a really great teacher who was like, okay, this is a way of doing it. There are other ways of doing that. Feel free to try it. But if you're going to use spray paint, don't do it here. We don't have the right equipment. Mm -hmm. So like, yes, you should have a ventilation hood. I just did it outside. Woo. Or hijacked the uh, ventilation hood upstairs that's supposed to be used for fix, for fix, fixative on drawings. Mm -hmm. But... Other times I was there with other teachers, it wasn't always that, oh, there are other things. Like, no, this is, this is how you do an aquatent. Yeah. Punct, no ellipsis, yeah. no footnote. Yeah. And that's just such a fascinating thing of there is the way I'm doing it right now to show you as a demonstration. Yeah. And... So often for beginners, there's so much extra information. It just gonna, 
here's how we're going to do it. And even if it's not said that way, it can be taken. This is how one yeah. does this. Yeah. And finding that good way to say, hey, we're trying this. Okay. If you do something else, you will get a different effect. Right. Good, bad, doesn't matter. There's no value. If you do it differently, you will get a different effect. Mm -hmm. One doesn't have to value that. Right. That's often, try it out. Is that what you want? Oh, not right now, but I'll file that away. Yeah. And it's like, I've made great discoveries in my process by screwing things up. It's like, I'm, that's not what I was looking for, but I'm going to remember that because if I want something to look like that, that's no longer screwing it up. Right. But that balance and that openness of experience and that flexibility and that malleability of what happened, where do I go with that? Mm -hmm. And so much of that comes down to personality as yeah. well. It really, it really, really does. You know, not everyone is open to that because their brains literally would combust if they thought of all of the possibilities yes. of things. Um, and so it is, it, but it is interesting how that can be turned into, this is, yeah, it's a, I think it's a dangerous thing when people start saying this is the only way to do certain things. Yeah. Um, because some people don't know any better and it'll take them 20 years of experience to be like, wow, I could have been doing this. Oh, look, <laughs> there is dad and Adrienne walking down on the fields. Sorry. I think they're, they're looking for the wild cam that we put out um, for the trail cam. Yeah, this is a... It's a good vantage point to keep an eye on everything. It is. We're looking down at the whole lower field. Um, anyway, yeah, it's, I think, and it, and again, I keep thinking back to that experience at the yarn store, thinking like they have to, they have more than likely had lots of experience with people taking yarn, going home, knitting, being like, well, this didn't work. This wasn't what I wanted it to work out as. Take the yarn back kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You sold me yarn that didn't do what I wanted it to yep. do. And so I understand that perspective as well as, you know. But if there, I, I still think that there are different ways to go about it. You know, we, we talked on such a technical level that she knew I wasn't a new knitter. Yep. She recognized the pattern of the sweater that I was wearing, like, we had lots of different conversations about um, knitting on lots of different levels. And so I think what I really would have appreciated was a, just a nod of like, give that a try and let us know mm -hmm. how it goes. But also, and I need to say this because I started questioning myself a little bit. We went home. I looked at the patterns on Ravelry that we were looking at that we were looking at. And in one of the patterns, the most used yarn for it, for this color work, was what we were looking at and yeah. what I wanted to try for. And on another one, it was the second most used. So it wasn't necessarily also that I was trying to go completely out of the box, but maybe- You were outside of her box. I was outside of her box. And maybe, you know, that commonality and I forget this too, and this comes back to not, maybe it comes back to the idea of like, maybe I am more of an expert than I think I am. Like, maybe my knowledge actually surpassed hers at a certain point. In, in this? Who knows? In this yeah, area. Yeah. Um, so I think there's just, there's so many areas where you have these interactions and maybe because post-COVID, like we're still getting used to interacting with people again. Yes. You know, I, I very much want to go into situations with a, I respect what other people have to say and I want the same respect and to have a discourse on things because I do that online a lot, but in person, it's nice to do that as well. I'm kind of losing my training. It's okay. Because when I was observing this with the, the, the woman who was helping us out, Again, because I was in the background, A, as a non-expert, and it's a yarn shop. It's easy for me as a male to fade into the background of discussions. Yeah. 
but to watch where there was the pattern and the color work and the yarn type. And when it was the, oh, but these don't go together, to have them concentrate so much on the pattern. Yeah. I was like, well, this makes me uncomfortable. Yes, but the pattern can't have that type of wool. Yeah. And it was just the, or the, oh, this pattern and its requirements, this is so much in her focus that the, but wait, we, we can change the pattern. That's, that's okay. It's this yarn is so fuzzy and nice and doesn't irritate my, my wife's skin. Right. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And so it was like where that couldn't be let go of as the focus of the, but this pattern, you need to honor this pattern with this wool. Right. This doesn't work. It's like, oh, that is such a different focus. It is. And frankly, there are some designers who do get that out of shape about people using different things than required yarn. Most of the designers that I know and follow will flat out say, please do whatever, like try different things. Let me know how it works. Let me know how it works. That's really cool. I can't guarantee you're going to have the same outcome, but play. That's what this knitting is for. We're supposed to enjoy the results of our knitting. You want a garment that fits you, that not only fits you, is comfortable, you're going to wear, you're happy with. If you don't like it, rip it back and try something else. Like, but again, coming from the perspective of a yarn shop where I, again, I'm sure that they've had lots of things come up. And I will say a lot of times people do, not all people go in, if they have a type of pattern in mind, they're more married to the pattern than they are to the yarn. It's a different approach to go in and just like, I've got this yarn because Because if you're in a yarn shop and you're looking for a specific yarn, generally that means you have a specific pattern in mind. If I go in and like, oh, I'm just looking and I found this gorgeous yarn, I'll figure out the pattern later. And that takes that element out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it is. It's interesting. And yeah, just yarn shop. Like I had a very similar experience very early on in my knitting. Um, I wanted to do something that I knew would give me a different result already. I think I had been knitting for just maybe two years at that point as an adult. And I was with a friend and we were talking about it and explaining and the yarn store person inserted themselves and was trying to convince my friend who did not knit what needed to happen for this to work. And and at that point I was like, okay, we'll just go home and order the yarn I wanted online because if I actually buy the yarn there, it just felt like a weird exchange. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's, it's interesting. And again, these people who are in these quote unquote expert seats have a lot of responsibility that I do think sometimes gets mismanaged. Mishandled. Yes. Whereas the yarn shop owner that's a couple towns over, she's fantastic. And it's like, play, do whatever, try different things. Like, it's a much different experience. Yeah. Her shop is also a wine shop, so her perspective is a little more... Okay. <laughs> it's, yeah. a little, it's a little different. Um, but but it, that makes all the difference. And I think the more people who go into these creative endeavors, whether it's music, whether it's painting, whether it's writing, whether it's knitting... With the ability to be like, with the ability to go into it knowing messing up is not really a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you a a certain amount of play and wiggle room and curiosity instead of, I've got to get this right. I've got to get this to look exactly like somebody else did. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I was just thinking back to this past summer when I was in a workshop with Laura Boswell for Japanese woodcuts. It was a week-long woodcut course. And I do woodcuts in more traditional European styles. So oil-based inks, inking up with a roller, printing with a a press. Or in Japanese woodcut, you cut the wood with different tools, but you're cutting wood. And you ink up with a brush and watercolors and rice paste and you print by hand. And you're mixing all of these quantities. It's like, well, how much water do I put in the watercolor? And how much rice paste? How thick should the rice paste be? There are all of these variables. 
And I had tried this before and never gotten it to work, mm-hmm. like at all. And so I'm there. Okay, I know what I'm doing with woodcuts. And I th- we were a group of like, ten people, and I think there were three or four of us in that group that regularly sell our work. Mm-hmm. So we're we're comfortable with the idea of I. I know what I'm doing on some level, or we are professionals on some level. We sell our work and people give give money for it. But even for us, we're there in a workshop. We're here to learn. Yeah. And also to watch Laura, who's a wonderful, wonderful teacher. I learned so much about teaching just from being in that workshop where for those people with some more experience, you were talking about this one. Yeah. Yeah. She let us go a lot more, or was the, here are the ratios that I start with. Mm-hmm. If you go in this direction, it might do this, or if you go in this direction, it might do more of this. So try it out a few times. Yeah. Also, try out the different pa- papers. And don't be afraid to use the nice paper to try out on. It behaves differently. Mm. Like, for me, I couldn't use the cheap paper. I, it just didn't work very well for me. I couldn't figure that out. And for someone else, it was like, I don't like this expensive paper. It's like, can we swap? Oh, that's interesting. So we, it's not that we were given more room to play, but the instructions were changed. Yeah. The instruction given was, here are your parameters. Play. If you get a little lost, I'm just over there. Mm-hmm. Or if she would go over to someone else, the parameters were narrowed. Yeah. It was very much like, here, try this. Yeah. I'll be right here. Let's do this together. And that makes a lot of sense. It really does. Yeah. Even in knitting, I mean, you want your first, like, I wouldn't say just grab any yarn to -hmm. somebody who's starting out, like, pay a little bit more attention to the, the type of yarn and the size needles you're using so that, you know, you set yourself up for success as you're learning because that element of, of a known finished product does help in the beginning yes. because you have a picture in your mind and what to go for. And then once you, so maybe that's a new, once you know the basics and then you can bring in these other parameters. But again, the difference of even still, even people who are experienced in their art, when it's being told, like, no, you still have to stay in your parameters. Yeah, it's like, that's no, when it's it's, like you want this ratio. It has to be this, right. the rice paste has to be this thick. Use this ratio, otherwise it doesn't work. It's like, but it just works differently. Right. Right. That, that was also an interesting feeling of the student feel and the expert feel. Yeah. To have both of those exist. Because to observe, oh, she's leaving me alone. Mm-hmm. Or to have people come over as like, oh, why are you here? You know how to do this. Like, I don't know. This this is totally this is my first trial of this. Like, but this looks so much better than mine. Like, it looks different than yours. Right. And I have a few decades of just woodcut experience. Right. And I know the process of color layering. I know watercolors. I have all of this background knowledge that I just don't know how to fit together in this context. Yeah. Whereas you've never done a print before in your life. Yeah. You just did that. That's amazing. My first print was nowhere near that. Which again, it shows once again that nothing is wasted and things inform things that you never would have. Exactly. You know, you, yeah, you're going into that as a new person to that specific art form, but you have all of this other knowledge that also plays into it. Exactly. That if you were all of a sudden to decide, I'm going to switch over and do this type of art and this type of printmaking only what a waste all those other years were. Mm-hmm. You couldn't say that because it helped, you know, yeah. it kind of goes back it's, to things we've talked about before. Yeah, it's not the, or again, when I'm at the museum, it's like, how long did this take you? Well, the short answer is I've been here for three hours. Yeah. The long answer is I've been doing this for the last two decades. Right. This is 20 years worth of work right yeah. here. Yeah. And it's, both of them are true. Yeah. And that is, yeah, there's there's a lot of footwork to get there. Yeah. N- not all of it makes sense. And all of that, it took me years after 
my time in art school to appreciate my time in art school. Right. Um, and just the lessons learned, the color theory, dealing with oil paint, which at some point I should try again because I just hated it. Okay. It was painting with mud. Mm. But mm. I am a very different person at this point in time, so maybe I like mud. Yeah, you never know until you try again. This is true. Circle back. But yeah. Yeah, it's all good stuff, though. It is. Thanks for listening. Feel free to subscribe with your preferred podcast platform. You can connect with us using Instagram and Twitter, and find out more information on us at our website. All links are shared in the show notes. All content, including music, audio, and rambling, is created by us, Corinne and Toby, at Inc. from the Embers.